allegorical life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership, and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan, and as always, I'm here with Mark Rosweller. By way of introduction, for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis, security, and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak, and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. So, Mark, today we're talking about one of your recent pieces of writing on the Allegorical Life blog. And in this post, you write about how we can become the authors and architects of our own lives and why it's so important that we become more compassionate towards ourselves in the process. It's actually quite hard to do. And my first question is this. Why is it that we find it so hard to be good to ourselves? The reason we struggle to be kind to ourselves is we live in a society that puts enormous pressure on us to be entrepreneurial, to be perfect, uh, to be better, to be more profitable, uh, to be more independent, and so it goes on. Now, none of those things are bad uh, nor wrong in their own right, but they're overstated and overstressed, and we're very attached to those things. So our mind gets very attached to having to be like that. Um, and that's where we start to suffer. And so we get really hard on ourselves. We think, you know, we think we should be better. We think we should be smarter. We think we should be more entrepreneurial. We think we should be more wealthy, uh, you know, less less heavy, you know, lose weight. So a Buddhist would say, look, uh, you've got to not be so attached to that stuff and, um, and have to understand that in the context of your mind, uh, yes, there's the sense of self, and, and if you meditate on that sense of self, you'll find it's nothing but suffering there, really. It's always complaining and wanting attention and, you know, wanting the world to be different, you know, wanting the world to be other than the way it is. But if you can settle that aspect of your mind and just quieten it through yoga, through meditation, um, through, through quiet breathing, uh, you realise there's something else in the mind which is much wiser much, much happier, much, much more content. And that's the aspect of mind, I think, that we all need to try and access. And that's ultimately where our happiness comes from, certainly where our wisdom comes from. Mark, you talk about the fact that we all suffer, and a lot of people probably don't have a good understanding of what that means. So can you tell us what are some of the ways that we might actually be suffering without even ever realising it? It's a really interesting question. I learned this in my Buddhist studies, that... um, everything we do is is either attempting to find happiness or to avoid suffering. Everything is predicated upon that. And and it takes a little bit to understand that, but it also takes a quiet mind to see it. So if you if you monitor your thought process, you'll be your mind will be grasping or clinging at trying to find happiness. So could, that could be a cup of coffee, a glass of red wine, um, you know, even a walk along the beach. And, and, and again, n- none of those things in their own right are wrong, they're quite pleasurable things to do, but the, whatever pleasure or happiness arises from them is merely temporary, it's not permanent, it's not, it's not a cessation of suffering, it's just a relief of suffering. And so we do those things because we are in fact in, inherently suffering underneath. So the reason we reach for the cup of coffee or the glass of wine is because we're trying to solve, we're trying to, uh, trying to um, relieve the suffering mind. Uh, and so we're constantly in this space of moving between happiness and unhappiness. And uh, we're not quite sure how to navigate out of that. So we, we tend to look at things external to us 
as ways of relieving that suffering. So when we're not happy, when we're feeling sad or down or or are frustrated, um, we tend to look for things to solve that that emotional state. Um, but it is, in fact, the the state of the human mind is to and, and Buddhists would say that you know we live in a world of samsara and, and samsara is a, is a world of suffering and and Buddhists will say we need to move from samsara to nirvana and people think nirvana is somewhere else you know up in the sky or another universe or something it's it's not it's simply an enlightened state of mind so nirvana is a clear mind of uh, that lacks all delusions so it's a it's a clear mind much like a clear blue sky where suffering ceases, so there is there is simply no suffering. If we check our minds, we realise that we're actually angry or dissatisfied or frustrated for much of the day, um, or we're clinging to something. Uh, we've got an attachment to something, so it could be an attachment to coffee, and we just don't think we're going to get through the day without those four coffees. And if we miss a coffee, we suffer. We go, oh, geez, I missed my coffee. I feel lousy. And and I think the other uh, main suffering is our um, our ignorance of what what in Buddhist terms is called ultimate truth. Again, a bit hard to explain in a short podcast, but but essentially what it, what it says is that we tend to cling to things as being permanent and fixed and having their own independent reality, but that's not actually how the world operates. The world is inher- inher- lacks inherent existence, so nothing exists from its own side. It only exists because of what caused it to exist, the parts, its parts, and the mind that imputes it. Now, and what we mean by that simply is that if I look at, say, um, if I look at the photograph on my desk here, that the, fo- the photograph exists as a conventional truth, but it, it ultimately the photograph doesn't exist and it only exists because my mind creates it through my consciousness. And if my mind didn't do that, then the photograph wouldn't exist. Um, so these are complex matters. I might leave the ignorance one aside for now. We can talk about that in a future podcast. But I think to take anger is a is a really good example that it sits in the human mind constantly, and unless unless we do something about it, it will always rise up and cause a dissatisfaction. It will always rise up and cause us frustration, and, and as I said at the extreme end, causes to perhaps be violent uh, or, or abusive or harmful to other people. Allegorical Life Podcast. So Mark, in an attempt to be kinder to ourselves, how do we get our heads around the idea that we might be carrying around anger without ever realising it? And what can we do to step out of that space of anger? Yeah, so, so I think the, the, first part of, um, the first part of that question is to, is to actually accept, to come to accept or to admit that, yes, anger exists in their minds because it's, it's people don't like to admit that they're angry. <laughs> and uh, I, I can understand that because it's a very unpleasant emotion and dissatisfaction is a very unpleasant emotion. So um, all emotions ultimately are you know pleasant, neutral or unpleasant and anger is a very unpleasant one. And that's what causes us to suffer because it's an unpleasant emotion. A, a Buddhist would say, I would say that whenever you, you feel a sense of anger or frustration or dissatisfaction, be patient, uh, practice patience, and and uh, people say, "My God, what do you mean practice patience? What I don't act, I don't do something if if something bad is happening." And I'd say, "No, no, no. Of course, you've got to, you know, you've got to prevent that harm to the best of your ability." Uh, and so, 
if you can do that without being angry about it and still act to, to reduce harm, you'll actually feel better once that, that, that event is over. But patience ultimately is, is it helps us realise that all things that rise fall. So all things that um, th uh, are given um, life uh, pass by. So any, any incident, any event that's causing frustration, any situation in life that's causing you dissatisfaction or anger is impermanent. It's not permanent. It's not. Uh, it's not inherently existent. So it, it's only coming from your side anyway. But it's. It's in fact impermanent. So if you can be patient with what's rising up, how your mind is perceiving something, and you be patient about it, then a couple of things happen. You change your perspective on what's going on, which is really a really interesting experience. You realize you start to understand the event more deeply. And that starts to dispel your ignorance of, of what's what's causing the problem. And secondly, you start to realise that you're moving towards happiness. So the anger is robbing you of a sense of happiness or satisfaction or or what have you. So so by being patient is a choice of the mind. So you apply it like an, anti, an antidote. So you apply it like medicine, if you like. You say, no, I'm feeling angry. I can sense that I feel angry. I can see it in my mind. I can feel it in my body. So I'm going to be patient here. And, and patience may mean saying and doing nothing or it may mean saying and doing something. Uh, either way is fine. That's that, that just requires your wisdom as to whether you act and speak or whether you don't act and don't speak. But either way, you'll move towards your happiness. You'll, you'll feel relieved. You'll feel somewhat happier about the circumstance. And the thing that's bringing you that sense of happiness or relief is patience that you're slowing up the mind, you're not allowing anger to take over, you're applying an, an antidote. Mark, when you write about suffering, you talk about learning to unpack our own negative core belief systems. Now, where do we even start with a challenge like that? Uh, that's a, you always ask good questions, Jordan. So, um, look, I, I think in, in my own life, I learned that I, I was brought up in a passive Christian household. So we went to church, I think at Christmas time and maybe Easter when I was a little kid and that sort of faded off as we got older. And uh, But, you know, to extend that a little bit, I mean, the West is very much dominated by Abrahamic faith. And uh, and by that, I mean by um, uh, a Jewish faith, Christian faith and, and Islamic faith, and um, which are in their own way, you know, profound uh, teachings of life and spirituality and and uh, morality and so on and so forth, very, very, very beneficial. But I think I think there's a flaw in the way they're taught. Um, I would just remember as a kid um, taking away the lessons of faith as being ultimately never good enough in the eyes of God. And um, that was very strong in uh, Calvinism and Lutheranism, which is the two, Luther and Calvin were the two leaders of the Reformation against the Catholic Church and the, I think it was the 1600s or 1700s, and um, very much stressed the notion of not good enough and having to seek salvation through God's grace. And that may or may not be granted by God. So it was up to God ultimately whether it was granted. So you had to do your best, try your hardest, be as good as you could possibly be, but you may still not be granted salvation. It was it was a matter of God to decide that, not, not for you. And that, that has pervaded in Western society for a long, long time. And I'm just not sure, one, that was ever the intention of the teaching, and two, I really don't think it's been very helpful at all. Um, and people so have, a, have this sense of lack of worthiness 
uh, and for many people of, of a you know a spiritual leaning or of a faith, they they um, they think that it's that that acquiescence or that acknowledgement is going to come from something or somebody or some power outside of themselves. I remember watching a TV program a few weeks ago of a, a Jewish lady who had travelled through Auschwitz in World War Two, and she's one of the last remaining survivors and. The journalist asked her, he said, do you still believe in God? And she said, no, I don't. And he said, why? And she said, because we prayed so hard to him in the camps that people wouldn't die, and they did anyway. And there was, in other words, there was no intervention. And so she lost her faith on the basis that she thought there should have been an intervention by God if God really existed. And look, that, that's a really hard thing to talk about or to talk to, but um, I think it's just sort of highlighted that that um, some faiths rely on an external intervention and that, that for most people just never happens. That faith, faith is in fact a much deeper, much deeper experience than that. But um, putting that aside just for a minute, um, that sort of notion of not being good enough, I think just pervades in society. And so people have spent a long, long time and I think it's sort of passed on from generation to generation saying, look, you know, you, you're not good enough and you're going to have to pick up your game in order to be better. I think the capacity for people to be good or to, to, to be profound really and to be, um, to be impressive exists within the mind, not from something outside. And if you think about even the, the notion of God, um, Allah, you know, Yahweh, whatever term people give it, it still has to arise from inside the mind. It can't come from anywhere else. It has to be cognised. It has to be understood and realise through the mind. So so I think if we sort of walk that road a little bit, we realise that, well, hang on a minute, if if um, if we if we think we're not good enough or if we think we're being judged, that judgment's coming from our own mind. It's not coming from anywhere else. So if we can turn that around and say, well, actually, what if I was good enough? What if, what if my life circumstances were not here to punish but here to teach? What if, what if anything that I experience in a negative sense is simply paying back my karmic debt? So what if I had, in, in the course of my many lives, you know, I've got to be a Buddhist here, but in the course of my many lives, I planted seeds of my karma, negative seeds of karma that I now have to experience. Uh, what if in planting those negative seeds of karma, and I understand that that's what I've done, that I can now plant more positive seeds of karma? So... So negative circumstances are arising. I see that. Um, I understand that. You know, some sometime earlier in this life or a previous life, I must have created the causes for that. But now I have a choice. Now I can say, okay, the negative circumstances, at least as I perceive them, are arising. Um, what can I do to make it better? And all of a sudden, you shift from not being good enough to being the author of your story or the architect of your life. So you say, well. Okay, these circumstances are arising. Circumstances are arising. I perceive them as negative. I perceive them as painful or harmful, and and that that is usually a very real perception. I'm not saying that that's that's false. It's a very real perception, but in so doing, I, I can now choose what I do here. I, I can now be. I can take a more positive path, um, and I think that shifts the power from a, an external intervention to the power of choice. So, Mark, I think for those listeners that are hearing this and thinking, you know, I really don't want to suffer and I really do want to be a more compassionate person, 
what are the three simple steps that anyone could take to start out on this path? So the first thing I'd say to people is, look, um, understand that this notion itself is the root cause of your suffering. And so, and the second thing I'd say is when you move your focus of mind from self to other, you will instantly get some relief, instantly. So and it could be as simple as making your partner a cup of tea. So you're sitting there musing on how unfair the world is to you or how you had a bad day at work, uh, how the kids aren't doing what, what you want them to do. You can stop that thought. You can get up and you can say to your partner, would you like a cuppa? Would you like a, would you like a beer? Would you like a glass of wine? Is there something I can get for you? And if you do that with a sense of concentration and commitment, you'll feel better. It's just it's so easy, so easy. And um, so giving up self, moving from self to other, I think is really important. And I often I talk a lot about anger in society because it's it is so destructive. Um, it exists every day, uh, and I, I, the, one of the big things I talk about with people all the time is to be patient. You know that that that, that we've got to stop, catch our breath, stop trying to be so entrepreneurial, so successful, so thin, so fit, so healthy. All of those things are fine, but we obsess over them. We're so attached to those things because we live in a society that insists that we be that way, that there's no, there's really no room for anybody else, but it just causes us to suffer. We get frustrated because we can't be like that. We can't be perfect. You know, we can't be as thin as we want. We can't be as fit as we want. You know, we can't be as tanned as we want or whatever the case might be. It's kind of time we give, the, give those things up. And just be patient um, and just let life unfold as it's meant to unfold and participate in the flow of life. So if you give up self, if you place your mind to the thoughts towards others and just whatever you can to make their life a little happier, a little easier, a little simpler, you know, a cup of tea, a glass of wine, a, a simple question, how was your day, and, and genuinely listen to their day, uh, those sort of things make life better. And just be patient about life. You know, life unfolds in its own way, in its own time, for its own reason. If anything that rises up in your life appears negative or to cause you suffering, uh, understand that it exists, that suffering exists. Um, and that it's impermanent, it's temporary, it comes and it goes, and we're more than capable of navigating through it. And we can navigate through it if we learn to be more patient, if we learn to be more kind, more compassionate, more loving uh, towards ourselves, of course, and towards other people. And that's when we start to shift, Jordan. It's when the world become, all of a sudden becomes not so harsh. Uh, it becomes a bit more understandable. I think we realise that we're in more control than we thought we were and that we can make choices that are far more beneficial. Thanks for joining us today on The Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon.